Hello, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. This is Thomas, and I've also got Lucas here. Hello, everybody. In today's episode, we didn't have a guest, so we had a, a random conversation about random stuff. Yes. Related to JavaScript and React and stuff like that. I hope you all enjoy. See you later. Hey, folks, I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with a back end. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called 11DJS and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend and it'll do some of the work for you. I, I just I just love it. So if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back end without having to actually program the back end, then give them a try. Go check them out at netlify.com. There's an interesting characteristic here at this job it's, it's like a larger scale than ZocDoc. They have like multiple applications and stuff like that. And there is not a strict enforcement of a framework. Oh, that's interesting. So it's a whole new way of operating. Like back in ZocDoc, it was like everything's React. Everything is going to be shared. The unit of work, of shared work is a React component, right? Here, like I'm, right now, I'm doing a work that it's interesting because they concluded nothing is dynamic in this space. Let's just do templates. I was like, hmm, interesting. Weird. Yeah, I've, it's been a while. And it's actually like for this particular problem, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, right tool for the right job, right? Yeah. I wonder like what are the pros and cons. And I also wonder if this is not also, I was thinking about, is this not also like scale based in terms of like how many people you have in your company? Like it's really, it's easier and more beneficial to make this like hard decisions when you have like 10, 30, 50 people. Yeah. Start having like 300. It's like, how do you enforce every team of your company to use the same technology for every problem? How do you even decide which is the best technology for all the problems of all the teams? I mean, you don't. Well, the, the way that <laughs> Facebook did it is they had a all carrots, no stick approach where the user interface engineering teams. So, so there was lots of product teams, but there are a few teams that were dedicated to building tools and, and stuff like that. And they were the ones that picked a tech stack to support. So a specific product team could do whatever they wanted, but they were on their own. And then they had to justify, like, why are you doing that instead of, like, your job? Why are you not just using the stuff that we've already built? Like, and if they had a good reason, then go for it. Yeah. That's but they a, usually yeah. just used what everybody else used. But it, except the ads team didn't, and that's where React came from. If it hadn't been for that rule, React never would have come, come out. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a really interesting... It's like, at some point, you need, like, tooling teams, right? Teams to yeah. help your people be productive. But you also like people are buying products. You're hiring like really smart people. Yeah. That 
I'm facing like an issue now. So I'm working on this. Uh, I'm just doing like a quick migration from like the old old monolith to the new applications here. Yeah. The old page is static, but there's this one React component, right? And the React component that is being used in the page, like the, the configuration of the page makes it like mostly static. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let me bring the React component. And now I need to set up all like React. We need to transpile even the server uh, files because we mm -hmm. have JSX. And I was like, okay, let me time box how much time does it take for me to just write this in the normal HTML template? So... What year is it? <laughs> but on the other hand, like, I, I don't feel bad. It's like... I mean, do what you got to do, right? Yeah, you need to do it. But that, that's exactly like what an engineering uh, problem is. It's like you need to understand what the benefits of something like, is it like bringing the whole complexity of React setup and stuff like that to one particular project that probably doesn't need it? And also like think about dynamically, if you put React, isn't like everything in this page become React in the future, and then you lose the benefits of being like a super fast, almost pure page. I don't know. It really depends on the specifics of the product. Like, yeah. like so I did my, um, my React Conf talk and everything that you saw on screen was a custom built thing that I, it basically it was a video player. I recorded my entire talk ahead of time and then I had a custom video player that I could scroll to scrub through it. And I built all that just with, you know, HTML and JavaScript. Nice. I regretted it. I really should have <laughs> react. <laughs> but I just like, I just threw it together just because, like, I don't know why I did it that way. It was so stupid. But like, I didn't feel like I needed React for this. But then once I got like 30% of the way there, I was like, crap, I really need React for this, but I got to go. And it was just, mm -hmm. but it was just like, it was just playing whack-a-mole with bugs at that point of just like, if I had honestly taken a look at how much work was left to do on it, if I had known of all those bugs, it would have been easier to throw it all away and start over from scratch with hooks. Dang, hooks would made it so freaking easy and i had uh -huh. reviews, but i didn't do it yeah and i regretted it but it worked out so this it was is a, this is an interesting yeah this is an interesting point of view yeah, yeah i mean I it was fine not a big deal yeah. so like every platform seems to have optimized their scroll physics scroll bar physics so you know swipe to like um what do you call it physics based like scrolling with touch so you can like hit it and the faster you go, the faster it'll move. And so I wanted to take advantage of all of that physics stuff without bringing in a physics library and just get the exact same physics as scrolling. So I just mapped the scroll position to, to a value and then I mapped that value to the current time of my video and boom, done. So you can just, you know, scrub through time. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was super easy and super fun. But I like I tried to do two way binding and like because <laughs> I wanted to be able to hit play and then play smoothly at that point and then scrub, but it, then that would have to sync back to the scroll bar and it was just like I should have rethought the concept and used relative positioning instead of absolute. But anyway, it was all a distraction. It was all procrastination away from writing the talk. So I wrote <laughs> the I wrote that thing instead of writing the talk. So stupid. Yeah. But it all worked out. I really like your what you said about the all carrots, no sticks. Yeah. 
they don't really, really talk about that philosophy much. But if you ever get a chance to to talk to Tomacino, he was the manager of like the React team, and I think he's like the director of blah 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 now. He was an old Mutuals guy. He like mm-hmm. left Mutuals like right before I joined Mutuals. We had uh-huh. zero overlap. He was the old Mutuals Tom. I was the mm-hmm. new Mutuals Tom. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, he has a very good like future vision of where to take things and how to how to play the game of of like cultivating things to to allow them to grow properly. It's very interesting how to because really in in our whole in our careers, the, the hard part is not the technical part. Like if the technical part is getting hard, it's like we're probably overthinking it. <laughs> the hard part is really the social dynamics of allowing things to grow and develop. And you know, you've got some people who are addicted to new and throw away good things because they're just old. And you have some people who are addicted to old and throw away new things and refuse to consider change. And like balancing those two forces is really hard. I wonder so much, like how does this work in different realms? So I worked in in different companies that like worked uh, with uh, completely different domains. I remember, like I was a consultant for a while and you have like a bunch of problems in the consulting business. Yeah. Let, Let me say, even like a really high number, 90% of business consulting is bullshit, right? There's 10% that is really interesting. So like, I remember like the, the career was like five, you have five steps. You start as an analyst. What do analysts do? Do what people tell you to do. And that's it. Yes. Face down, boom, do. And then you, have, and then you become a consultant. What is a consultant? A consultant is like an analyst on steroids. You do what they do. They, they ask you to do, but you have a couple of analysts working with you usually. Like you're a reference to like two or three analysts and you start going to, to, to the meetings with your manager to talk to, to the clients. You're okay. more on-site, you're more on-site person, right? Yeah. Manager is just like managing client expectations and making sure that whatever your analysts and consultants are producing is not, there's no problem. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're like transitioning, then you become a senior manager. Senior manager usually like takes care of like a bunch of teams in a, in a given client, right? Or managing managers. When you become partner, the next step, you're actually like selling. Like you created like hmm. a, the, you created this this relationship with uh, the clients enough that you're selling projects to them. You're creating yeah. new projects, and then there, it's interesting because. On one hand, it doesn't make sense because like you no. became like a driver and, and you end up like a seller in your career. Yeah, that doesn't path. make any sense at all. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But on the other hand, created like such a path that keeps some things really real. Like you don't manage yeah. if you don't do it and you don't sell if you're not actually doing this for years. Yeah, does, does I guess that sense. does make sense. Who am I to judge? <laughs> that's it. That's it. It's, it's, it's really interesting because... It's just like you, you talk about design system. Yeah, yeah. And you're creating, you're creating these building blocks for people to build applications on your company. How can you do that really well inside a company if you did not create applications in the first place? That's true. Yeah. Like um, Facebook has a, I don't know if it's just Facebook, but they have kind of a, a philosophy of abstraction through extraction. 
where, you know, if, if you use a pattern enough, actually, Sebastian Markbedge talks about this in one of his talks is like, I'm going to write those things. Wait, yeah. abstra- I, uh... abstraction through extraction. So if you use a pattern enough that you, you've seen a pattern repeated multiple times, then you're allowed to think about abstracting it. Sometimes engineers, especially the, the ones who are more resistant to change, mm-hmm. <laughs> are the ones who tend to like the thinking process and like the engineering process. And then, so using that hammer, they'll use that tool too much and abstract things too early because they just like to do it. And they hate to see too, many, too much detail. They want to narrow things down as soon as possible. So it's, it's kind of a psychological force. These are the sorts of things that I'm starting to talk about on my, on my new YouTube channel. The gory nerd details of how the, the psychological makeup of people affects how we do things in reality and how to take advantage of that and defend yourself against that. But like some people resist abstraction so much that all of their code is just like idiomatic, just garbage code. You saw it a lot in jQuery code, notoriously. I mean, there's really good jQuery code, theoretically. Yeah. <laughs> but the vast majority of it is just like, like just lots and lots of imperative code, like zero abstraction. That's kind of one end of the spectrum. And then there's like these, these engineering monoliths where there's this amazing API that's brilliantly designed that's used one place. <laughs> yes. Um, maybe there's a middle ground. <laughs> Yeah, this is really interesting because I've been burned like so much by early abstractions. Yes. And I, I also have been burned by like no abstractions at all. Yeah, I've been, so, I've been the, both of these guys. <laughs> this is the real world. Like the, right? in, in the real world, uh, in, in complex systems, it's really difficult to have linear or Boolean things. Yeah. It's just like I'm thinking about things like a medicine. Like a medicine yeah. is only called a medicine depending on how much you, you, you have. Right. Like and if where and how it's delivered. And that's it. It's like if you, if you have a Tylenol when you, when you have a headache or maybe even two, it's amazing. Like you're cured. If you have a hundred, you're dead. This makes sense. <laughs> so the yeah. uh, difference between a medicine and a poison is only the dose. Yeah. And this is crazy to think about. Yeah, applying that concept to engineering, it's like, yeah, API design is is the cure and, until you hit a certain peak, and then until it's, it becomes poison. poison. That's it. Brilliant. <laughs> I want that That's on a T-shirt. Crazy. Yeah, it's like if you think about carrying a smaller weight during your whole life makes you stronger. If you need yeah. to carry two hundred, you you may bust your back, and then you cannot even walk. Yeah. Anymore. And it's the same thing. It's a weight. It's, it's, it's a piece of iron. I don't, you know, it's like, yeah, it's correct. Those is everything. So find a solution is the, is the start. Finding a medicine is, is the beginning. And now the dose of the medicine is another thing. So this is why I'm trying to do like the vanilla component yeah. that, that, that I'm seeing, because I don't want to insert the react uh, right. medicine to this particular page because it may be overkill to this. Right. It may be like me just putting the hammer that, that, that I know. But on the other hand, like I, I, I also don't want to, to get to the stage where I'm just not using a medicine because I'm being stubborn. That's true. 
And a lot of that is just, is kind of inner work of like judging your own motivations and really thinking through like, why do I want to do this? And why am I resisting this? Mm-hmm. Is this a short-term decision or a long-term decision? Am yes. I doing that because that's what it was. Anyway, but the kind of, that reminds me of something that I, I realized a few years ago is that a lot of engineering is, is just moving complexity around. Like there's a certain level of complexity and where do you want to keep that complexity depends on like who owns the problem and who's maintaining it for the long term. Like what I used to do back in the day is I, I refused to write JavaScript on principle and I, would, I ended up shifting a lot of the complexity into the CSS. Like I did these like nested, I remember when like nested drop down menus were a thing. <laughs> like yes. on the web. <laughs> I created this, this brilliant in my opinion back then uh, entirely CSS-based nested drop-down system with zero JavaScript. It worked in IE5 and all this stuff. And I was so proud of myself. But then years later, I realized that, no, that was so stupid because then nobody could maintain that because very few people know CSS at all, very few engineers anyway. And most of the people who know CSS don't really use 90% of its power. So if you use something even if it's a completely normal way to use that thing, if it's not idiomatic for other people that use those things, it's going to be confusing for them. They're not going to be able to maintain it and it's going to be thrown away and replaced later. So like, where do you want to keep that complexity? Are you storing complexity in the learning stage of new people joining the team? Like the complexity is like, they can't start working on it until they learn all these new concepts. And then you better have some really good documentation. You better know that you're sticking around to help train everybody. You better know all these things. And it kind of puts a lot of pressure on you. But if you can shift that complexity around a little bit, yeah, it might not be as beautiful and elegant or whatever, but you might be able to onboard people onto the team faster, get them up and running faster, and have skills that are transferable to (laughs) some new project going forward. And that's kind of where the, the pressures that conspired to create React originally. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Then we are, we're, we're also talking about dynamic decisions, not only static decisions. When you're talking right. about like, should something be easier in the beginning of the onboarding process or not? Like, what is a trade-off? And that's probably where the money is because a bunch of analysis are like static analysis. It's like, if everybody's using the same tool that is this tool A, we would be better. And you're not like, yeah, I'm, but what about in one year? What about in two years? Right. 
What so about if no one if no one can experiment with anything other than than A? So right. now you have a jQuery company in 2019, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that doesn't make sense. Like, how do you deal with the and and this come back to 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 the carrots uh, thing you're you're, you're talking yeah. about? Yeah, it's like evolution, right? You need to have some way for some mutations happen from time to time. To you need some chaos. It. Yeah, something to to shake things up. Because what's the what's that concept that where you've reached local maximum, like a like a ball rolling down a hill? You yeah. know, from the ball's point of view, it's reached the valley floor, but it could just be in a tiny little dip out the edge of some cliff. So you need to yeah. to shake it up a little bit to get it to bounce even That's further it. down. With UI, yeah, I remember like back in my last two jobs. In the end, we were like heavily A/B testing. And when you when you when you finally put together like a framework to A/B test, and you finally yeah. can just like start, it's like really cool. But you end up like A/B testing small features of your pages, and yeah. this is this is interesting because you, you you have like small gains. But sometimes you look at the whole page and you're like, oh my god, I'm creating a kidnapper's letter, you know, from from the movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those. You, you, those, those letters with like cut out uh, letters from different pages. When you look at the page as a whole, it's it becomes like kind of a f- small Frankenstein page. And then from time to time, I was thinking like people, let's let's think of like now a larger scale A/B test. Yeah. Let's change like a whole section at a time because we may be finding a local maximum. Right. But like maybe there's opportunity for something that really changes like how the user perceives this page and you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, a big deal. Yeah. All right, so I guess uh, I'm gonna go and I've got other stuff I need to do, so it's been a fun. Me too. <laughs> it's always fun. <laughs> Thank you and until the next. Yes. See Bye-bye. you later. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.